Hey, what's going on? It's Kyle Cruz, and you're listening to the KC Movies Podcast for January the 4th, 2019. Happy fucking new, everyone. Another year of film has uh, came and gone, and we're going to be talking about most of those, uh, the good ones anyway, some bad ones as well, but we're talking about mostly the good ones on t- um, tonight's podcast. Uh, I know they're supposed to come out on the 3rd. I did say on Instagram this would come out on the 3rd, but... Um, you know, the heat is, it's really fucking hot here at the moment. Um, and also I've just been, you know, I'm just such a disorganized, you know how much of a disorganized cunt I am. So they call me Mr. False Promises, but, um, hopefully I can break that. Right. Um, so this podcast, you know what it is. Um, I was teasing it for a while. It is the list podcast of 2018, even though it is 2019. It is as of, um, tradition to do it in the new year instead of doing it at the end of the year because I've still got films I need to see that come out in Australia at the end of the year for example I had the favorite and vice come out in boxing day so I had to see those um, and get those out of the way and one of them lands on a list well we'll find out so how this is going to go is um, as always I'm going to do my dishonorable mentions my honorable mentions my top five worst and my top 10 best of 2018. And I'm also adding a little separate category in uh, this time around called underrated gems. There'll be five of those underrated gems so we can keep time down a bit. Also, it's very fucking hot at the moment. So I don't want to go for like two hours or um, or maybe even an hour and a half. I don't want to go for an hour. Let's just say I want to go for an hour. I'm fine going for an hour. But um, any more than that, I might melt in my seat. So, let's just fucking get on with it. So, as I said, we'll start off with some... Before I get into the worst, I'm going to start off with some underrated gems that I feel some people didn't see this year or kind of dismissed. Um, And we'll we'll get on the way with that. Okay. Number five is how to talk to girls at parties. Uh, This is a little indie film that came out... um, Produced by A24, it came out, I believe, in April. I believe in April. I should really have prepared and have these movies up on IMDb. Fuck you, but you know me. You just know me already. And it's, uh, you know, it's directed, directed by John Cameron Mitchell. It's based off the Neil Gaiman novel, I believe, of the same name. And it's got Alex Sharp, Al Fanning, Nicole Kidman as a punk rock queen. Um, you know, it does run for about an hour and forty. Could have gone for a bit shorter. It's really, really weird. It's very... It's not going to be quite accessible for your average-going movie audience. But, um... I really... It's such a bizarre and insane film that I just think it... Just needs to be seen. To be believed. Because I'll say some things that happen in this movie and then be like, (laughs) No, that's not on screen. Yeah, it is. It's on screen. And, uh, you see it. (laughs) Uh, there's also really some really great bits between Al Fanning and Alex Sharp. Um, the concert scene was really good with Al Fanning. Um, just the way they interact with each other at the film, because uh, we're talking about aliens and punk rock people. And it feels like a visual graphic, uh, a graphic novel come to life, and like it's just in all of its you know um, weirdness and um, oh, just I'll just say. Balls. It's very ballsy film. I can't like you, you look at the, you look at this and you're like, how the fuck did this get made? This actually was made into a film, right? That's number five. So that's my 
Moving on to number four is uh, Tully, directed by and written. Uh, no, I believe it's written by Dale by Cody. I reckon they. I think they teamed up again, didn't they? Uh, it's directed by Jason Reitman, who gave us Juno up in the air. Um, he's giving us the front runner. He gave us front runner last last year, but I didn't haven't seen the front runner yet. But he has. Teamed up again with Diablo, Diablo Cody to give us give us Tully. Now I believe Diablo Cody worked with him on Juno and the Young Adult. I think I think it was Young Adult that she worked on as well. Ah, ah fucking mosquitoes in the house. Yes. Oh, she wrote Jennifer's body. I had no idea. Okay. Uh, yeah. Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman team up again to give us a wonderful look at. Uh, motherhood, really, and, um, just, I guess, self, self-care, self really, as well, like, looking after yourself, not just relying on other people to do it for you, um, it does have a very strong emphasis on that kind of subject matter, and I think you'll really enjoy it, I think it's one of Charlie Theron's best performances, um, Mackenzie Davis is wonderful in it, and it's just a, a really good film that I don't think many people saw last year, and, um, it's I think it's quite under, underappreciated. So definitely go and seek out Tully when you when you get time. It's a, it's a lovely watch. And the plot twist is worth it all alone. Number three is uh, a movie by Lee Winnell, who you'll know from the Saw franchise and um, Insidious. And that is Upgrade. Um... It's got uh, Logan Marshall Green in it, who people say he looks like Tom Hardy. Uh, Melody, Melody, uh, what's her last name? Vallejo. Sorry, sorry, Melanie. Um, it's a bad guy who gets into a very bad accident when his wife and he get attacked by criminals. He can't move pretty much. He's out of action. He's pretty much paraplegic, and uh, he gets a implant. Um, put in his body called stem that allows him to do these abilities that are that he wouldn't be able to do on his own and it's a really cool action film uh, I think the action set pieces are really cool if the fight scenes are great choreographed well shot well cinematography is great performance logo Marshall Green is great and um, it's brutal as fuck as well and it's very I, I, I think I found it very without being too high octane I found it to be a very entertaining action film that not many people saw Number two is a little weirder, <laughs> um, branching near How to Talk to Girls at Parties territory, but I think being a bit more, um, in some parts being a bit more comprehensible, and um, comprehensive, sorry, and uh, you know, although it does have its, it does have its weird, its fair share of fucking weird, um, especially one scene with um, the cult leader. But I won't get into that. Uh, it's one of Nicholas Cage's best performance in years. Very emotional. Very um, he sh- he kind of sheds as the character of Red in this film. Um, it's directed by Panos Cosmatos, who gave us, um, I believe, it's Beyond the Black Rainbow. I think it was, um, which is another film of his. And I haven't seen that one, but I'll, I'm I've yet to watch it. I've got to check it out afterwards. But I really, really fucking loved Mandy. Uh, the score was great. The um, the, sound, the score is done by Johan Johansson, who unfortunately we lost last year. And it's, again, a great performance by Nicolas Cage, and, um, Andrea Risenborough. 
Uh, Linus Roach is good too, and it's got some really cool action scenes. Brutal as hell. It gets a little supernatural at times. It's a little trippy. It's like an LSD trip, kind of inserting into your fucking um, veins. But I think it's very well worth it uh, if you want something different to watch. However, it's very, <laughs> it's 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 fucking it's weird. It's very weird. But the visuals are so beautiful. So worth it on the visuals alone, I, I, I reckon. Um, definitely check out Mandy. It's it's quite an insane film, but I don't think you'll... I mean, there's one scene I think that drags a bit too long, but other than that, I really enjoyed it, and I've seen it about three times now, so... Um, I've enjoyed it on each watch. And Andre Rosenberg. Oh, she's, a, she's great. I can't wait to see what she does next. Fuck off. Sometimes when you don't turn your phone on, it's silent. My number one underrated gem of 2018 is a film that I've seen about five or six times now. And I, I watched it with, um, I put it on for my friend who's not, you know, doesn't really watch the kind of movies that I'm into. And she really enjoyed it. She thought it was, she thought it was a really good movie. And, you know, as it should be, <laughs> as I, uh, you know, explained it to her. Uh, great performance by Olivia Cook. Great performance by Hunt Taylor Joy. Beautifully directed by Corey Finley. The, the screenplay is so sharp, the cinematography is so sleek, it's stylish, dangerously stylish, thoroughbreds. That is my number one underrated gem, I, you need to see this movie. Um, like, look, you don't need to, but I just think it's such a really cool, sleek piece of work that, um, that was missed by most people um, last year. And if you get a chance to seek it out when you can, definitely do that, because... It's um, it's very cool, very funny as well. It's a dark comedy. Um, the cinematography is beautiful. Um, some of the shots are, the the extreme close-ups are some of the best I saw last year. Um, no, really, really good. And it's just a really fun, you know, the chemistry between Olivia Cook and Anya Joy, just them bouncing off each other, really. Just was, it's just it's like entertaining, but like it's it's like you don't sometimes you don't need crazy action in your eyes to be so engaging and entertaining. Sometimes you just need witty dialogue and um, characters that are just um, you won't you, you won't forget from last year. And um, you know the characters of Amanda and Lily that always stuck in my mind all of 2018 ever since I watched that in what I think I watched that in June, like May or June. Um, might have been. I've been April, May, or June, around the, around there. Not too sure when I watched it, but um, I didn't never forgot them from last year. So that's my number one underrated gem. Check it out. If I had to give the, yeah the one out of those, I'd definitely say Thoroughbreds and maybe Upgrade as well if you want something um, a bit more faster. Right, those are out of the way. Do check those out. Let's get into. Uh, <laughs> Let's get into. We're gonna start off with something. We're gonna start off with some sour, and then we'll get we'll move into some sweet. So um, I'm gonna rattle off my dishonorable mentions first, and then we'll get onto the five worst. I've only done five because I'd rather do five than ten. Because I mean, I don't go out to the movies to see bad movies, so I don't have many bad films. But I do have a five, and I'm always gonna have a five because you know you don't want to. I mean, what's worse than wasting money is wasting time. So, um, definitely. 
like you can watch these if you want some people do some people like have differing opinions to what I do and I know someone that do like some of these films on this list but I'm going to rattle them off anyway uh, so my dishonorable mentions are 2018 Mile 22 The Kissing Booth which is on Netflix The Predator very disappointing The Meg boring as fuck Death Wish just just wrong um, Skyscraper was just CGI mess. I did not like the performances. You know, The Rock's always going to be good, but I just him around it. The villains were forgettable as hell, and the Cloverfield Paradox was such a fucking letdown. Um, especially being the big surprise in the Super Bowl last year, and then getting released the um, the night of, and then just like being a completely different film and just slapping the Cloverfield name on it. That's honestly what it felt like. So, yeah. Wasn't happy with that. Those are my dishonorable mentions. It's time to move into my top five. My top five worst movies of uh, 2018. Um, where's where 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 are they? <laughs> where the fuck are they? Oh my god! I think I've lost them. Anyway, give me a sec to find them here on my phone here. Just give me a body sec here. Um, I didn't delete them, do I? I've got 10. Oh, there we go. It's in this one, this tab here. Okay. So before I start with my top five worst, um, several mentions there, you wouldn't have seen uh, True for Dare, Slender Man, 1517 to Paris, Winchester, Sherlock Gnomes, Robin Hood, and Nutcracker, because I didn't see them. I didn't see those films. I was told not to, So and I didn't have the money to go and see those films when I could, uh, so I didn't watch them. And I know some of these films actually made other people's bad lists as well. I just didn't watch them. But I did watch these five. And, uh... Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, number five is kind of a sad pick. It's uh, A24 Slice. Um, I believe the director is... Austin? I believe is his name. Austin? Anyway, it kind of kind of came out of nowhere. Like he got the trailer kind of like out of nowhere. Um, Austin Veasley, right? Um, and it sucks to say this because I, I like I want to support up and coming filmmakers because I'm one of them myself. But um, I just it was just so I don't know. It was just such a mess. It was just such a mess. Um, Chance the Rapper, what like what? Zazie Beast was pretty much the only thing I liked about it. Um, I liked Paul Shear's comments sometimes. He's, he was funny because he's always a funny dude. Um, but I just... It was just so forgettable. And I just... Like, there's some cool shots in it. And I liked the vibe and the aesthetic and the music presentation. But... I just... Yeah. I, I just It was so forgettable. And I just remember it is honestly one of the most forgettable movies I saw last year. And I couldn't recommend it to anyone because I didn't think they'd like it because it was just it's just that bad. So definitely, yeah, number five, slice. Number four is Melissa McCarthy, welcome to the worst list. Life of the party. Um It's directed and written by Ben Falcone, her husband. They like to make movies together, even though they're fucking shit. Uh, every time they get together. It's weird because when she gets with people who actually are talented at making films, she actually is good. Um, like, I've heard she's really good in Can You Ever Forgive Me, but I just never got the chance to go see it. And I hear that is making some people's lists, so that's surprising to see, but also, um, kind of awesome as well. 
because I do think when she's given good stuff, she can be a good actress and she's a and you know, a good talent. But when she's given shit, she becomes off as obnoxious and annoying. And that's life of the party. There's a bit of a plot twist as well, which was just weird, and the jokes didn't work, and I felt like I was watching a four-hour movie. It was just... I wanted it to end. I wanted it to end. There's nothing worse than a bad comedy. And it's just all the jokes falling flat all the fucking time. And I was just like, oh, when the fuck is this thing over? And it goes for, like, what, an hour and 40 minutes, I think? So really not what I wanted to um, watch again. Laugh the party, skip it. It's another one of those joints. That's another Tammy. It's another. Um, oh, I'm just trying to think of another film they've done together. Her and uh, Ben Falcone. Let me just look that up. Yeah, it's another Demi. It's another The Boss. I mean, The Boss wasn't that bad, but yeah, I wasn't a fan. Anyway, moving on to number three, which is the end of a terrible trilogy. Fifty Shades Freed. Thank God this fucking franchise is over. Because these characters are the worst characters I've ever seen put to screen. And I can't wait for them to die. And they're dead. Thank God. Unless they make that fucking grey book into a movie. Which they probably will. Because I'm knowing Hollywood. They want to make that money. So. Fuck. Yeah. They, they probably will. So it's not over yet maybe. Because you can't forget the spin-offs. But oh my God. The worst... Just the worst relationship I've ever seen on screen. Um, Christian Grey makes me want to rip my eyeballs out. Um, fucking Anastasia Steele makes me just, like, hate. Just, like, I just, like, I don't know. Like, characters. I, like, hated characters for a short time. I was just like, characters can be this bad. Characters can be written this badly. And it's just so bad. It's just so... Oh, I just want to claw your eyes out watching it. It's such a bad relationship that is presented in a hell in a in what they want to be a healthy way, and it's just not. It's just not a healthy way. It's just not a healthy fucking relationship. Why the fuck is she getting treated like that? He's such a whiny fucking bitch. He's such a controlling whiny fucking. Who the fuck would want to be with that person? Who would want to be with that person? And Anastasia Steele is such a vanilla fucking white bread fucking character. Who the fuck would want to be with that? It's like a piece of cardboard. It's like... It's like... It's like a cardboard. And... A piece of cardboard and a fucking... What, like a, just a... Obnoxious gorilla dating. Dating. And that's the whole franchise. That's it. That's the fucking Fifty Shades franchise. Holy fuck. Thank God it's over. Fucking hell. And I don't have to watch these movies. I, w I watch these movies so I can inform you guys to like just fucking steer clear for these th things. But there's there's but there's two more on this list that you have to steer clear of. There's two more. I can't believe I'm saying that. Number two is The Open House on Netflix. Holy shit! How the fuck was this film made? How did they push this to executives and and not have an ending and then just say yeah well that's yeah that's great that's that's good that's great because it's a fucking it's a, it's horror movies are one of the most easiest movies to make one of the cheapest movies to make and 
That's what they've done. They've made a cheap horror movie with fucking jump scares to the fucking 11. It's just, he's just, he's walking around the house and making cereal. That's what he's doing. And she's showering. She's having showers every fucking five minutes. The mother is showering every five minutes. I just can't with this fucking movie. I can't. I can't with this movie. This was going to take number one. There's another film before this that I hated more. Oh my god, this movie fucking was so shit. It was so fucking shit. But like, you can, you can, the good thing is you can watch, you can sit back, you can get drunk off your fucking ass and watch this and laugh at this shit. Because that is the best way to experience this movie. If you watch this with a critical mind or something that you like, you want to, you know, analyze the film, you're not going to get anything because you've seen all that fucking shit before. Fuck! The open house! It's so shit! My god! There's not an ending to it! And who the fuck is the neighbor? She just. She just comes and pops up in scenes! And then she gives them banana bread! Who the fuck is she? She has no establishing! There's no establishing! She just fucking appears and then she said her husband's dead and then she said, Oh no, my husband's not dead. I was fucking lying the whole time. Oh, what? Oh, oh fuck, I've got to... I'm delusional. And then... The, the, and then the, the fucking... Oh, sorry, I need to calm down. The black man... Um, I, I, I just don't have to call him black man. I have to call him black man because I don't know his fucking name. He just comes and appears out of nowhere. And why did I get the feeling that he wanted to fuck his mum the whole movie? Why? It is so poorly written. So poorly directed. Oh! Don't watch The Open House on Netflix, but if you've got some beers and if you've got some mates who want to have a fucking laugh, do go ahead and just laugh your ass off with this fucking movie. And, and then... But I just don't get it. There's some scenes where the mother's in the shower. Why do we have to keep seeing her in the shower? And she's fully nude. She's fully nude. You show... The, you, sh the ca you, you use the camera for a reason. You use the camera for a reason. The camera is used as a motivation. You want to show something or you want to... You know, you want to... You know, give that scene... Oh, fuck. I'm running out of my vocabulary because I'm so fucking angry at this fucking movie. <laughs> But no, it's just showing her in the shower. There's nothing there. There's just water coming out. She's having a shower. Jesus Christ. Oh, fuck. And then he just... The end... It just ends. The film just ends. There's no explaining. How is this fucking thing made? Oh. Number one. <laughs> My number one worst movie of last year is the most horrendous piece of shit I've seen in decades. And that is Gotti. My God. I see where this film was made. The, the thing with Gotti is, I should have put Open House at number one, because the thing with Gotti is, they actually got together some people for this movie. They, go to, they, they wrote a screenplay together, even though it's terrible. 
they had a cast, they did all these things, some of the shots are okay, and there's an ending, and there's a soundtrack to it, and there's scenes, there's structures, there is a structure of scenes happening. But, I could sit for the open house again if I had some drinks. I could not sit for Gotti again. I could not do it. It is almost two hours long. John Travolta looks like a ball sack. Now, if you, if you, if some of my friends who are listening to the podcast, if you guys follow me on Facebook, you'll have seen my Gotti experience that I put on Facebook in a little post, and you would know that my experience, how articulate I was with that experience, and how much in, 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 like, you know, information I wanted to give you before you go into this this, this film directed and directed by Kevin Connolly, who, by the way, is E from Entourage. John Travolta seriously thinks he's like Robert De Niro or Francis Ford, uh, not Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Marlon Brando. What are you doing, John? What are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And then the makeup and prosthetics make John Travolta literally look like he's got balls hanging off his chin during some of the scenes when he's in when he's an older Gotti in the past. Ladies and gentlemen, John Travolta at the start of Gotti is standing in front of like some sort of ridge in New York. And he goes, let me tell you why New York is the best fucking city in the world. I can't even do the accent because it's that terrible. He honestly sounds like me. And then the movie starts. And then guess what's in the movie? The movie's supposed to take place in like when Gotti was around and there's fucking Pitbull playing. Pitbull did the soundtrack, everyone. Pitbull did the soundtrack for this movie. If you thought Pitbull's little remix of Africa was bad, listen to the soundtrack for Gotti, because Mr. Worldwide hits it out of the park. Jesus fucking Christ. I can't sit for this fucking movie again. His son was so fucking forgettable. There's a dude that I know that's in it. See? Dude that I know. That's how I fucking call them by their names. In the, um... In the film, I can't even know the characters' names. I know John Gotti, of course, but who the fuck are the other ones? The, the, you know, what are that? What is it? The, the game, the game I know that was one of them, but the characters were so poorly portrayed and performed, and it was so badly directed. And I can't watch it again. I just can't do it again. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this top five. I'm done. I can't watch any of these films again. Maybe the open house with, with drinks and or anything else, but. Holy shit. I cannot watch the Gotti. I can't watch the Gotti. It's really... Just call it the Gotti because you'll make it funnier. Um, don't watch any of these five films. Oh, man. Just... Just save yourself some time. You're saving, what, nearly seven hours there. I don't know. I don't... I'm so fucking sweaty and, like, dizzy right now because I've been spinning around heaps. I can't. I don't even know how to do this <laughs> basic fucking addition. Right, those are the worst movies of 2018. Thank God I got through those. Holy shit! Oh, I don't want to talk about those movies again. Let's talk about some good things. Let's talk about some good things. Let's talk about. Let's get passionate and talk about some good fucking movies. Let's do it, eh? Okay. Let's start with some honorable mentions for 2018. Now, I put these on my Instagram before I, you know, I was going to release this podcast, so these are already known on my Instagram. The only things you obviously you guys don't know are my top five worst and my top ten best. So, 
Let's kick it off with honorable mentions. Let's do it. Let's do it. I won't go into too much explaining for these movies, but I'll just say, like, I'll give you like a quick few sentences about it, and you can check it out if you want to. Before I start getting to honorable mentions, though, I want to talk about what kind of films were fighting for my number 10. So I had Avengers Infinity for number 10. Um, one of them was number 10. Thoroughbreds was at one point number 10. Um, Hereditary was number 10 one point. Mandy was number 10 at one point. Eighth Grade was number 10 at one point. Searching was number 10. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was number 10. But I had I had to really big think about it. This was honestly the hardest year to think about my top 10. And um, I had to have a really huge think. Um, and just sit down and just contemplate. I was like, what? I need to... Like, what films am I going to watch again? You need to think of... You need to think of, like, scenes... Um, pretty much all of the elements on it, sound design, score, rewatchability, um, how it is, you know, technically, how it is, oh man, just like how, like, you want to, you want to think like, these are the best, but also these are my personal favorite. I mean, also, I'm like, I'm always going to go with my personal favorite, but some of these are obviously going to be on other people's lists as well, because they think there are some of the best movies of the year. And and a few of them are in the running for Oscars anyway, so are probably obviously going to be in the Oscar race. We'll talk about them. So before I go to one more mentions, I just want to talk about Avengers Infinity War first of all. Avengers Infinity War, Infinity War was one of my favorite movies last year. It was a such a well executed um, piece of art. And I'm, I'm saying that because I think superhero movies just kind of get a bad rap sometimes. In terms of, they just think, oh, it's just a superhero movie. Um, you know, it'll, it'll just fly by. It's just a big CGI fest. The bad ones will have the CGI fest, but the good ones are going to make you care about the characters and it, when what you liked about them as the hero and what you read in the comics and will obviously reinvigorate that joy. So, good superhero movies are, like, some of them can be really, really good. And I think Avengers Infinity War is one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. It's my top, top top five of MCU movies. And I think the Russos did a such a... This is such a technical achievement in, in, in the realm of superhero films. Because you have, like, 60 characters from the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe all on screen, balancing screen time, balancing stories, balancing plot lines... And it was just done so well. And there was even improvisation involved with some of the actors. Some of the performances were great. Um, characters stood out. Each character I felt had their moment in the film. And I just cannot, I can't wait for Endgame. I cannot wait for Endgame. It's, it's really cool to be excited now for a Marvel movie. Now I'm really excited for Captain Marvel as well. But Endgame is going to be probably one of my most anticipated next year. Um, this year, sorry, this year. But I just want to say, I want to point out, even though it isn't my, it isn't in my top ten, I want to point out how much I really appreciate Avengers: Infinity War because that is such a great um, achievement. And they did it. They they actually did it. The Russo brothers did it. And these guys were directing episodes of Community, and they've made one of the biggest superhero movies of all time. 
so that is just something to be proud of honestly and something to really really like look up to and um be inspired by really so i just want to say that these other ones i have the same words for but they just again they just made the top 10 but they were my favorite movies from last year they're under all of my mentions they're some of my favorite movies last year i really really enjoyed these movies i had them on rewatch i've watched them if i've pretty much watched i've watched some more than once some of them i only really watch, have watched once but that's really some of them i need to watch once but these are my other mentions of 2018. now if you were on instagram obviously you would know this but if you weren't here we go if it is infinity war Deadpool 2, such a solid sequel. Thoroughbreds, I've talked about it. How to Talk to Girls at Parties, I've talked about it. Tully, talked about it. Upgrade, talked about it. American Animals, works really well as a documentary, but also as a feature film. And great performances by the young cast there. And a very, like, unexpectedly, very, um, very uh, sad in the end. Very depressing. And uh, I thought it was really, really good. Mission Impossible 4, that's one of the best action movies I've seen in years. Tom Cruise continues to blow me away with his stunt work and his dedication. And it was such a... It was honestly one of the best Mission Impossibles I've seen. I don't... I, I, it's it's near the best. I, it's on par with 4 or 5, maybe 4. But I think this one is just such a fucking spectacle of action. And you need to check it out. Bad Times of the El Royale has one of my favorite scenes of the year. Great performances. I'm going to give a shout out to um, Chris Hemsworth, Willis Pullman, um, Jeff Bridges, of course. One of my favorite quotes of last year. Um, uh, Shit Happens, Grab the Whiskey, I think it was. That was a good one. And you got the one of the best scenes of the year with uh, Cynthia Erivo. That's another performance in that movie that's great. Um, Cynthia Erivo... There's a tracking shot down the hallway while she's singing a certain song. John Hamm is kind of walking through the hallway. One of the best scenes of the year. Um, really well written by Julia, um, Julia? Drew Goddard, who the guy gave us um, Cabin in the Woods. And I, can't wait, I cannot wait to see what he does next because I do love to see what he does to the screen. Leave No Trace, another hit by Deborah Granick, um, who gave us Winter's Bone. A very awesome standout performance from Thomas McKenzie. Um, I, I see, did she get in, nominated for Independent Spirit? Because I really see her nominated for Independent Spirit. I think her performance is very, very understated. I think she's, it's very underappreciated performance. As well as Ben Foster's, I do think Thomason's performance is better than Ben's. Um, and it's such a great look to look at the freedom of being away from society, but also what you miss when you are away from society. So um, definitely check that out. Miseducation of Cameron Post. Great performance with Chloe Ghost Moretz and a look at the gay conversion camps because these fucking things exist apparently. I had no idea. But now I know they do and uh, this film really uh, can really break your heart. Hereditary, one of the best horror movies I've ever seen even though I'm only just getting into horror. But it's great cinematography, a, a Oscar-worthy performance from Tony Collette. Yes, I'm going to echo it like everybody else is. Oscar-worthy performance from Tony Collette. She needs to be looked at it for this. It is such an emotionally uh, just unstable performance, um, if that makes any sense. She just she just gives it her all, and uh, it's incredible to watch. Alex Wolf is very um, is another one that um, was really great in that movie. Uh, that scene in is in the car. Wow, one of the best of the year. Sorry to bother you. 
Boots Riley's really fucking weird, most batshit insane movie. This is probably the worst batshit insane movie I saw last year. Was straight above you, and it was really really funny. Tessa Thompson, her whole aesthetic is just yes, I want it. <laughs> so good. Um, very funny. Gets very weird towards the end, so be careful of that. Mandy, I've talked about. Creed 2, such a solid follow-up to the first Creed. I think Stephen Cable Dooner did a great job of carrying on the reins from Ryan Coogler. And Michael, Michael B. Jordan just continues to be amazing. Um, and not to be overlooked is Victor Drago, um, the guy that played Victor Drago, and Dolph Lundgren's performance as Ivan Drago. The, the performance of the villains and the story for the villains given to them, I thought was um, really well done. And the character development and the motion... The emotion behind it, um, very powerful. Overlord is another one. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Had such a fun time with Overlord. Um, it's looks. It's got this B-movie aesthetic. Sometimes I do reckon it fights between a B-movie and taking itself seriously, but I can honestly come to the decision that it can be, it's taking itself as seriously as it can be as a zombie Nazi movie. So, you're going to get a little bit of cheese as well because um, it's Nazi zombies. I mean, what do you expect? And one of the best opening scenes of last year, hands down. Eighth grade, um, the first directorial debut. First? I mean, it makes sense anyway. Uh, the directorial debut from Bo Burnham, who's one of my favorite stand-up comedians. Um, always been following him. And I was just like interested to see what he would do. He in understands the... Uh, the life and the struggles of, of an 8th grader so well, it's weird. And Elsie Fisher as Kayla. Oh my god, what a breakout performance and what a such a charming, charming actress. Um, really awesome that she got nominated for a Gold Globe. Um, I do think her performance is really, really good. And uh, not to be overshadowed is uh, Josh Hamilton's performance as, as her father. Black Klansman was another movie I really enjoyed last year, a movie by Spike Lee. Uh, John David Washington, Adam Driver, which is the best part of the movie in my opinion. Um, very, very funny at times. Very, very, very... Like, I get the issues sometimes. Some of it was beaten over the head towards the end. Didn't like where it was going towards the end, really. I didn't... wasn't on board with that stuff. But, like, I'm, like I'm not because I'm against it, but just I thought it was a bit too much. I kind of got the message about the film. I don't need to be bolted over the head with it. Uh, if he just focused on what, focus on more or like of like kind of, I, f I feel like his emotions got in front of him and he just it got in the way of his focus. And I think it was if it was more focused, it would be a better film. Searching. Now this was originally also my top ten. It was actually number seven or eight. Um, great use of the screen life genre. I think it's the best so far, obviously, because I was waiting for a bit of a mystery to happen with this kind of screen life kind of thing. And Searching is a great um, start to it. Um, awesome performance from John Cho. He, he's just acting in front of a computer screen and he does such a great job. Compelling mystery until the end. I liked the mystery more than the conclusion, but I think that's why it maybe slipped out of the top 10. But I really enjoyed it. And there's a secret movie going in the background if you haven't really noticed. Um, I've actually seen this about twice. I think I'm going to say this twice. I'm going to watch it a third time because there's so many Easter eggs in this film that you need to put this on rewatch a lot of times. Then again, I just didn't think it was good as my top 10. Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. Now, what... Yeah, what... Okay, I know, I know. 
Kyle, what the fuck is going on? Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse on your honorable mentions. Are you kidding me? Everyone loves this movie. I loved this movie. I thought this movie was so much fun and entertaining. It did not drag at all. It understood the characters of um, of Spider-Man of and the struggles of Miles Morales, especially with his father and his um, uncle, Aaron. The Spider-Men were great. Jake Johnson, Shamik Moore. Uh, Haley Steinfeld, John Mulaney, Nicolas Cage is the best part of the movie as uh, Spider-Man Noir. Um, and then you got Kimiko Glenn as um, Penny Parker. The animation style is so just uh, like in your face, but so kinetic. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. And if you were to watch that on like kind of drugs or anything, I'd think you'd just lose your fucking mind. Because <laughs> I, I thought I was watching a 3D movie at first. And um, it, I kind of I kind of got my eyes kind of got used to the screen, but at first I was like, "This is so jarring and so weird. I don't know if I can get used to this." But I got used to it, and it's really really cool. Hats off to the animation team. Awesome, will work a fucking ton on this movie, and it's so funny. I cannot wait for any sequels that come for it, um, and I hope um, Lord and Miller are on board again for the sequel because they always make this movie so entertaining to watch and so funny as well. I was so surprised how, how much I laughed during the movie. But again, just an honorable mention. But I really, really enjoyed it, and I'm definitely going to get this one on Blu-ray. And my final honorable mention is a foreign one. Um, it's come on Netflix in October, and I didn't catch it until December. But um, it's called The Night Comes For Us. It's a uh, f- uh, Indonesian film. It's mostly Indonesian. There's some English in it. It's got Eko Uwai. It has, um, I think his name is Joe, I think it's Joe, uh, or maybe the guy is named Joe. Uh, let me just get me this, get this up, hang on a second. Joe Tatson, that's it. Joe Taslam, sorry. Um, Joe Taslam is Edo, and you got Eco Y as Ariane. Really, really, um, just such intense dudes. <laughs> but, um... If you love The Raid, if you love The Raid 2, you're going to love this movie. The fights are brutal. They are so well choreographed. And uh, they're just entertaining. Um, I think the plot's a bit weak at points, but the fights will definitely make up for it. Some of the best fights I've seen last year, along with possible fall- Mission Impossible Fallout. But these are probably some of the best fights. The final fight, I would either go with the pool room fight or the final fight. Um... In the movie. The final fight with between Ariane and Ito. Great. Great stuff. So those are my honorable mentions. They do check all those out. Some of them, it's a, it's a really nice mix there, I think. Um, and you can have a lot of fun with pretty much all those movies. Um, some are going to get you sad. Some will make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> it depends what kind of movie you're in, really. But uh, definitely check those out. It's time. It's what you've all been waiting for, if you've been, if you have been waiting for it. Um, we're actually doing really well here with time. Because my back is sticking to this fucking chair. It's sticking to it. It's fucking gross. Ugh. I'm sweating beads. Ah, get off. It's time for my top ten of 2018. Um, these movies I absolutely, absolutely adored. And um, 
definitely going to watch these when I come, definitely going to grab these when they come out in Blu-ray eventually. And some of them you might have heard, some of them you might not have. I mean, most of them you would have heard of, but um, I do. I, I haven't seen some of these films on other people's lists, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what people have. Uh, if, if anyone uses some of these titles for their list, but here they are. Here's my top ten. Starting at number ten is Lynn Ramsey's "You Are Never Really Here." Wow, this movie is fucking awesome. Uh, first of all, you've got a great performance from Joaquin Phoenix. You've got a fantastic score by Johnny Greenwood. You've got um, awesome cinematography. The editing is so fucking cool during the action scenes. I've never seen anything like this editing. The way um, Ramsey directs these action scenes and, and works to edit these action scenes is so brutal without it being seen. And the... Our character of Joe, Joaquin Phoenix plays, is such a hulking figure, but there's so much emotion buried within him that you're just dying to find out like more about who he is. And you do find shreds of who he is, but it's pretty much about his journey and what he's willing to do and what um what, what, I don't know what I can't really say what motivates him, but it's just I think it takes place in one night, I believe. And it's just such an awesome... The score just backs it up so beautifully. It's got one of the best scenes of the year with a... I'm just going to... I'm not going to give any spoilers. By the way, with this top 10, I'm not going to give any spoilers at all. No spoilers. So you're, you're, you're fine there. Don't worry about that. <laughs> There's a scene with Joe and another um, enemy character, a criminal, that he's trying to kill. And I'll just leave it at that. They're both lying on the floor. And that's about it. Um... Hang on a second. I'm just going to take this call. I'm just going to take this call. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. Um, yeah, no, you're never really here. Um, so. Definitely, you just... I think it's one of Joaquin Phoenix's best performances. I think it's Lynn Ramsey's one of her best films. I think it is my favourite Lynn Ramsey film so far. Um, the, the soundtrack, the score, the sound design is just divine. Um, you really need to check this movie out. You really need to check this movie out. It's pretty art housey, but I reckon it's quite, it's pretty accessible for mainstream audiences, I reckon. Um, it's not too art housey. There's not too much metaphorical stuff. There's I think there's a few scenes that get a bit... okay. But that for me, I love those scenes. But um, yeah, that I'll, I'll give that warning. So you'll never really hear number ten. Number nine is a comedy. Yeah, a comedy has made my top ten. I've watched, I've watched, I've seen this movie six times this year. Number nine is Game Night. Wow, this movie was such a refreshing surprise, such a pleasant, refreshing surprise. Um, wow. Um. Direction was great. Performances. Jason Bateman. Love him. Love Rachel McAdams. Um, all the characters just worked so well. The cast had such great chemistry. Jesse Plemons. Holy shit. Great character. Loved his character. Had one of the best scenes of the year. So fucking funny. So creative. Um, the cinematography. The transitions. The editing. The um, score by Cliff Martinez. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's a reason why it's on my top 10. Um, such a... Fuck, it's, and it's so fucking funny. The, um, 
the a certain side plot can be hit or miss with someone, but I um, some people. But I really, really enjoyed it. Game night, definitely, definitely check that out. Number eight is another refreshing surprise. Now we we saw Jordan Peele do it with Get Out. Well, last this last year I saw John Krasinski do it with Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. Um, wow. First of all, the screenplay is one of the most batshit screenplays I've ever read in my life. If you want to read the screenplay, it's available online. You can check it out. It's so good. I think Krasinski really adapted that screenplay really, really well and edited, edited it and added his own things in that really worked for the film. And um, I think the performances are great. Milton Simmons, Noah Jupe, Emily Blunt. Oh, my God, Emily. Oh, my God. That scene alone in the bathtub with the pregnancy. Um, the birth. Oh, my God. So really fucking so good. And so creative with the sound design and the use of the of one child being deaf and how that came to play in the film. And it was just... Um, you really felt for the characters. You really felt for the characters. So that is why that's my number eight. Number seven is a um, little film that I just wasn't even thinking of, but it was out this year and I went and saw it. Re Coralie Farge's Revenge is number seven. Um, wow. So if you're sick of like all of the rape revenge movies, like I Spit on Your Grave and anything kind of knocking off that, this is the one for you. Uh, this girl is played by, beautifully played by Matilda Lutz. Kicks ass. Uh, I think her name is Jen, I think. Uh, she kicks ass. And, um, there's so much blood. There's so much blood. It's so brutal. And, oh my god, it's, a, it's just a fucking buckets of blood. So if you love some violence, some gore, some just, like, really, um, intense action sequences that are, like, kind of kind of B-movie style as well, um, I think. I got a little B-movie vibe as well with it, especially with the, pulp, the pulpy blood. Revenge is definitely your film. Some great editing, sound design, cinematography. Uh, you know, you get it now. Revenge, number seven. I cannot wait to see what Coralie Fage does next. Such a fantastic film for a um, film, French film I could filmmaker. French female filmmaker. I can't wait to see what she does next. She really, really surprised with this one. Number six is one of the best rom-coms I've seen of all time, and it's a gay rom-com. Uh, Love, Simon is number six. Wow, what a... Such a beautiful film. What a absolutely beautiful film. Um, first of all, the performance by Nick Robinson is his best of his career, um, and I loved his character. I can't believe he was the fucking dude from Jurassic World. Um... Catherine Langford, she's she's better than fucking 13 Reasons Why, I'll tell you that. Um, I always love watching, I forget his name all the time, but he's he's from, just like, he's from uh, Brisby uh, Bear. Um, he's, oh, I always forget his name. I think his name is Zach. His name, his name is Zach and Brisby Bear, but what's his actual fucking name? Anyway, I can't get onto it now, but he's so good. <laughs> um, just, I think that, that whole, that main friend group, that cast, just really got along well. It reminded me of me and my friends as well. And the you really feel the struggles of um, of Simon throughout the film. And the scene with uh, uh, with his father was really, 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 really well written and great. I know it's adapted from a novel, but I think it was really, really dope. Josh Duhamel was really great in that scene. I think he did a great job. 
But um, Nick Robinson is really the standout here. He's really, really fucking good in this movie. And this movie will make you cry. It will make you cry. It, but it will also leave you with the biggest, cheesiest smile on your face afterwards. So definitely check out Love, Simon. Number five. Damien Chazelle returns to us with First Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was going to make my top ten either. But I loved this movie. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about the directing from Damien. I want to talk about the fucking the performance from Ryan Gosling. When is when is there not a good Ryan Gosling performance? There's fucking not one. He reminds me of his character from Drive, but with a bit more speech. And we all know that um, Neil Armstrong was a quiet person. He kept to himself a lot. So um, um, that's why he was like that, and I, I, I and I get the Buzz Aldrin thing with um, Corey Stoll. I think it's Corey Stoll. Um, hang on a second. Just getting absolutely fucking interrupted again. I've told them I'm doing a fucking thing. Jesus. Um. Yeah, Corey Stoll as uh, Buzz Aldrin, I think was he didn't really annoy me. I don't really, I don't really see the kind of anger and the hate there for Buzz Aldrin. I think he was just saying what things like way, like they were. He was just very brutally honest, and he would just just say what came out of his mouth. Now sometimes he would not think before he said something, but that was just his character, and I didn't really mind it. Um, the moon landing sequence, I really wish I saw in IMAX. This is a this is the film. This is one of the films I really wish I saw in in the theaters. This year, but I just didn't have the money at the time, and I really wish I saw an IMAX. But we don't really have them in IMAX theaters in Australia, and I, I just, I just really wish I saw this in IMAX because that moon landing sequence is one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, this, everything with that scene, the score, the beautiful orchestral score by Justin Hurwitz, um, the cinematography. The, just how it goes from like normal ratio to IMAX ratio as soon as he lands on the moon the sound just fades and you're there you're on the fucking moon son and you're there with Neil Armstrong now I don't know what he does on the moon now I won't spoil it but he does something on the moon that is either factual factually incorrect or um, kind of embellished for the film now I don't really that didn't bother me I thought it was such a beautiful moment and um Oh, I just I want to keep going. Uh, the cinema, the really the grainy cinematography. I just really liked that aesthetic. I liked the way he went with that. Um, I'm not too sure what it was filmed on or what was used there because um, I'm not. I don't really get too technical with the cameras, like some directors do. But um, I really need to expand my knowledge really on on, on most cameras because um, I only really know the ones I play around with in film school, and um, we never really got our hands on any really, like Ari Alexas or anything like that. So, I don't know too much about what they would use. Um, but, oh man, the, the spaceship sequences, the, the, the uh, Gemini 8, I believe it was, before they did Apollo, the Gemini mission, was so intense. And the way everything's like ricketing and shaking around him, and you're just like, holy fuck, I feel like I'm actually in the spaceship right now. I feel like I'm in there with him, feeling the fear, the, like, there's adrenaline, there's fear, there's so many emotions just swollen around there in that fucking small pod that you could die at any second. And there's just something so scary and exciting about that. And I thought it was just presented so well, the sound design is immaculate, I fucking loved it. Oh man. 
And um, I just, I loved Claire Foy in this movie. It was really good. The scene where I believe it's this, the, it's going to be the scene if she does get nominated for a supporting actress. It's going to be the scene, the uh, talk to your kids scene. That is a great scene. That is a great scene. And that is a very a worthy um, representation of why she should be nominated for that. But um, yeah, man. First man, Chazelle, you've done it again. Um... I really like to like kind of analyze his work and kind of see what he what characters because he seems to be tackling kind of ambitious characters, like you have um, um, uh, Andrew Neiman from Whiplash, and then you've got uh, Sebastian from La La Land or Mia from La La Land, all ambitious people. Neil Armstrong, ambitious, wanting to be it to the moon, he would he would sacrifice his life. For I mean, United States of America to be the first person in the room. It was a space race to get to the moon. They wanted to beat the Soviets, and he just, he put his life on the line. And he and I would say that is a very very ambitious thing to do. So I, I maybe that's his through line. Like because like I was thinking like why go from two jazz films to doing a biopic on Neil Armstrong. And I think that is kind of what I'm seeing here with the through line. Maybe ambitious protagonists with really putting everything on the line to do what they want to do, or to do what they love, um, to prove themselves. So, um, I don't know, maybe that's it. I would love to talk about this with someone, <laughs> but no one's here to talk about it with me. So, um, yeah, the first man is number four. Number five, sorry. Number four, though, is the favorite. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos returns, returns to us. Um, he gave us Killing the Sacred Deer last year, which was my number nine, I believe. Um, it's funny because the Lobster from 2016 was actually my number four or five again, because um, that movie is great. Now, this movie is more in lines of the Lobster, I'd say, in terms of the humor and the writing and the performances. Um... The dialogue is a bit more, I'd say, normal <laughs> than what you get with a normal Yorgos Lanthimos' movie. Um, I'd say it's it was it was so weird because this this is why you need to marinate on a film. This is why you, you this is why you go to a film and you don't really judge it straight after. Well, you can have first impressions, but you have to really think on it after you've seen it to kind of make up what your opinion of the film is, because. It's really, it was just, I, I, after it, I was like, ah, yeah, that was good. I liked it, but it's not better than a lobster or a fucking sacred deer. Now I think it's on par with the lobster <laughs> because I just keep thinking about it. And I keep thinking about performances from Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz. Oh my God. Such a power trio of ladies. My God. Um, Emma Stone, I think was my favorite. I loved Olivia Coleman. I loved Rachel Weisz, but Emma Stone was definitely my favorite. <laughs> my favorite in the favorite sorry um uh it's so fucking funny um I, there's a new word in my vocabulary now construct thank you so much uh the favorite for that um <laughs> uh, nicholas holt as well is is to be is to be more talked about i think his performance is so weird and different and it's just so weird for him to do that so i really love that he actually actually did that um, and went with that character and played that character because he was awesome. Loved his character in the film. Snide little bugger, but very entertaining and um, fun to watch. Um, 
Yeah, it's just it's an, the the close-ups, the close-ups in this movie are so fucking beautiful that I was just like, how the fuck are they achieving this right now? How the fuck are they getting this without like, oh my god, man, the cinematography, it, like, and the, and the use of the fisheye lens, and oh man, it's so and and the production design, the set design, the costume design. It's such a beautiful looking film, but so darkly comedic on the inside that you can't help but laugh at some of the, some of them are really, really off the wall jokes and they've, they're delivered so well. Um, it definitely has to be with, um, the, the screenplay as well, which is not written by Yorgos. Yorgos actually directs, directs it, but what this, what this, this film tells me about you, um, what this film tells me about Yorgos is that he can really elevate any screenplay he's given and give his style to what it is. You're always going to get... You watch The Favourite and you think, that's not written by Yorgos, but like, that, that is a Yorgos film. He can take a screenplay and make it make it his own without really discrediting the writers, but still, you know, you can look at The Favourite and say, well, that is that is a Yorgos film because it, really, like, it is a Yorgos film. But he wrote the lot. He wrote the favorite. I mean, he wrote the lobster. He wrote the killing for sacred deer. And killing for sacred deer, I'd say, has more horror elements to it, and it's a bit more. Uh, I don't know, a bit more negative, I'd say. Um, the circumstances are very, very bad. What happens? <laughs> kind of depressing. Kind of nihilistic. Um, but the favorite has such a dark joy to it that. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I think it's honestly on par with The Lobster. Um, so, yeah. It's like, they, you know, you had Colin Farrell for The Killing of Sacred Deer. Alright, let's go back to The Lobster. Let's take Rachel Vice, put her in this. She looks beautiful. She fucking knocks, blew me away a bit. Emma Stone, man. Emma Stone is my pick for supporting actress for this movie. Um, Emma Stone is so, so great. Um, and I think it's his... I, I think I would say it's his most accessible out of all of his films. Lobster's a bit... a bit. People have watched The Lobster, but they have said it's really weird. Um, you've got Killing the Sacred Deer, which is just insane. Like, I showed it to my dad, and he said, what the fuck did I just watch? So, you know, I was kind of in trouble for showing him that. And then you got Dog Tooth, which is just... In, like, it's just crazy. And very dark as well. So I'd say The Favourite's more accessible, and I'd definitely check it out. It's still out in cinemas now, so definitely go check out The Favourite. Number three is Annihilation. Um, Alex Garland is such an interesting filmmaker because his sci-fi films are unlike any sci-fi films I've ever seen. It's, he creates very cerebral sci-fi films. He makes you think for a very long time after watching his work. Um, Ex Machina, for example, is one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. And it just made me really think, and and that's what um, you know made me really think of like AI and um, um, how he interacts with them, you know, relationships with AI. I mean, one of the, one of my big things. This is a bit of a deep into deep look into me, really. One of my most fascinating things I want to talk, I, I'd like to talk about with people is, can we establish relationships or take part of a romantic relationships? with kind of androids or artificial intelligence because I mean if if they were available I'd, I'd do it <laughs> but um, especially after seeing 
uh, even though she was a hologram, I've seen Blade Runner 2049, seen kind of that uh, theme explored a lot in that film, what it is to be human. And I think um, X Marketer did that really well. What Annihilation, Annihilation does really well is look at the themes of um, self-destruction, but in a, a very kind of metaphorical way, when these four ladies, I think it was four or five, um, you got Mally Portman, Justin Thompson, Jane Rodriguez, five, five, five ladies, and they've all got some things they're dealing with in the life. When they go into the shimmer, they kind of encounter those things up close. Uh, one of the best scenes of the last year was the fucking the fucking bear. The bear was fucking scary. One of the most in in crazy, crazy scenes I've seen in my life. It's scary as fuck, <laughs> and it really gives me the, gives me the fucking shivers on, like along my spine and everything. So uh, definitely. Definitely gave me the fucking creeps, that scene. My God. And I watched that in the darkness. And then when that bear opens its mouth, I went, oh, God, I can't. I don't want to say anything. And then you got the scene with the video camera and what's looking at what's on the video camera. And then you've got the beautiful world of what the shimmer is and what it represents. And just I, just, I just think the themes of just like seeing ourselves within something, kind of dealing with obstacles that are in our life that we are too afraid, I guess, to look after or move on from, look after, uh, move on from or confront. I just think that this really, really did it so well. And um, the man is just such a really fascinating, interesting man to listen to. I watched these Google talks with Alex Garland and um, it's just, it's just so good. And I thought this movie was going to be like kind of down below on my list this year. But I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I've only seen this movie twice. And I just cannot... I can't stop thinking about it. I always think about the themes. I think about the characters. It's one of Natalie Portman's best performances. Um, the creatures in there. The deer. The crocodile. I mean, and, and of course the bear. And then you've got the final scene in the lighthouse. The cinematography is also beautiful. The, the, the score. The sound design. This movie is such a beautifully technically made film. With really intricate and <clears throat> uh, I, can't, I can't find the other word for it I, I'm just getting so overwhelmed with passion and and, uh, and um, appreciation I just love this movie so much I loved it I love this movie and I've only seen it twice and I can't I, I still want to watch the, uh, the, the I think it's the Southern Reach series by Jeff Vandermeer uh, I, re I really want to read the books because Garland didn't even he didn't read the books again he went off what he read before and still and made that off you know what he remembered so I guess you could say it's a loose adaptation of what the book is um, but I'm yet to read the Southern Reach trilogy I'll get to it uh, but all I've got to say is if you want to watch a sci-fi film a very cerebral sci-fi film and a really awesome sci-fi film that, you that, that will make you think and kind of ask yourself these same questions, Annihilation is the one for you. It's, um, it's fantastic. Number two, we're wrapping it up. Number two is, I just, I honestly didn't think this would be up here as well, but it is, again, I've seen it, I've only seen it twice. Um, can't stop thinking about it. It's Ethan Hawke's best performance of his career. 
It's got such a great screenplay. Um, the cinematography is incredible. Loved the 4x3 ratio. Fits the character well. Um, I'm just going to get into it. First Reformed is my number two. Um, and I'll just, I'll just echo it again. you got Ethan Hawke. You've got the scene with Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried's character. Um, the um, You know what I'm talking about. The one in the middle. Um, and then you've got the final scene in the end, which is possibly um, the longest... I'd say the longest... Uh, the longest expression of love I've seen on film. <laughs> if you don't count the threesome from love... Gaspar Noir's love um, with Maga Brain with the background one of the best scenes of all time um, in my opinion I love that scene so much uh, this that that this final scene in this movie with Amanda Seyfried and Ethan Hawke uh, as Ernest Toller it, it feels like it goes on forever but you really understand what that means and uh, just the themes of doubting yourself around uh, like like the issues in the world and not coping with the past. Um, and again, I'm going to say it again, the, the cinematography and the 4 by 3 ratio kind of helps because the, this character of Ernst Toller is so trapped within his own world that he's questioning pretty much everything he does and, and what everything we do as humans. And, um, and that's what you think of that. You always want to think about a very intimate issue that becomes kind of related to a worldwide issue that, you know, some people are dealing with. And to go with religion was a bit... Because at first I was like, oh, religion. Like, I'm not really a religious person. I, I don't consider myself religious. But even though this was religious, I really related to it on a level that of it being kind of like what the character was experiencing and what the problems that he was going through because I've been through that before and I, you know, sometimes I do ask myself those questions. And, um, uh, yeah, one of the best scenes of the year with him and his ex-lover. Um, I just really like the way that thing was delivered, directed, um... And again, such a great screenplay. Poor Schrader, the dude wrote Taxi Driver, and it's also and he also directs the shit out of this movie. Uh, I al I almost went on the A twenty four store. I love this movie so much. I almost went on the A twenty four store and bought myself a <laughs> first reformed hat that you they actually like sell in the film as part of like um, merchandise. I almost bought an A twenty four first reformed hat because I just thought I just had to support the film that much. Um. Yeah. Loved it. First Reformed. Do check it out. It's pretty slow. It is slow, but it's definitely rewarding in the end. Now, it's time, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I just hit my fucking lip. Ah, oh, you bastard. Ah, oh, that's what happens when you get excited. You fucking bite your lip and you start bleeding from it. Oh, you fucking cunt. Ah. Oh. Ah, oh, that's fucking... Jesus. That sucks, man. God, I hate when, I, I hate when that happens. Especially when I'm about to reveal my number one. Like, what bad timing this is for it to fucking... You know, be... Jesus Christ. I got my finger on my mouth.
Jesus, fuck. Oh, I hate that. That sucks. Anyway. Oh, that's so annoying, man. That's so annoying. My number one of this year, it's done to be considered for a lot of Oscars. It's, it's, um, you know, some people loved it. I fucking adored it. And it's funny because I watched this movie once. I watched this movie in the cinema and I thought that was good. I liked that. I didn't love it. I just thought, yeah, that was good. I liked the performances. I liked the music. And here we go. There's that, if that's not good enough of a hint, my number one is A Star Is Born. Wow. <laughs> Did I fall in love with this movie? Um, again, first re first watch, I was like, okay, yep, yep. Second watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. I'll know what's happening now and I get these characters and I understood the chemistry on the screen and it really, you just connect to it in such an emotional way. Um, I guess because I am kind of a relationship person, I, you know, that's what you, um, gravitate towards in terms of themes, character. Um, but this is such a really excellent directorial debut from Bradley Cooper. He directed himself so well, I think as well. Um, his performance is great. Um, definitely be considered for best actor, um, along with Rami Malek. I can't think. I can't think of anyone else. I'd probably say Ethan Hawke as well. But if he is to get Best Actor at the Oscars, I wouldn't even be mad because he really, he honestly did such a fucking great job here. Lady Gaga was good too. Her, her I want to talk about Lady Gaga for a second because I thought she was alright. I was like, oh, she's a good singer. She can hit the high notes. Oh, she's good, but I'm just not really a fan. After this movie, uh, she's incredible. <laughs> Uh, I really came to appreciate who she is as an artist, how she uses her voice, her vocal range, how powerful her voice really is. Um, just her singing alone, it's just it's just beautiful. Um, the songs in this movie are so beautiful, Shallow obviously being one of them. Um, but my favorite ones were, uh, I mean, The Closer was good. I'd probably say my favorite would be I mean, my favorite obviously would be Shallow because I've, I've always sung Shallow with my friends since the movie. And um, uh, I always rem remember us this way, I believe, that she plays, plays on the piano. And the clothes is good too, but it's not really up there. And then you got the other ones, like, I like the, how the film opens as well. You've got, the, you've got that big... This is the movie you got to see in the cinema because the way the film opens, I wasn't expecting to be just blown away by the opening. The way the film opens is just like this big concert film experience where you got Bradley Cooper's Jackson Maine kind of getting its heart on stage and walking on stage, and then you got the lights hitting. I mean, the cinematography is got to be appreciated here as well. Um, I believe I got the dude's name before, but look him up, because he's really, he's going places because he's done some great work this year alone, I mean, last year alone. Um, you got the lighting, his face, he's obviously all drugged up and everything. And, um, and that's, that's not a spoiler because it's about kind of a failing country star meeting a singer and then them falling in love and something happening there. But again, I'm not going to tell you what happens um, between them. But yeah, it comes on stage, you got the the first song, Black Eyes. Um, so cool. Loved it. Um, Bradley Cooper's voice as well. I, I already worked with Willie Nelson to get his voice. So that was really cool to hear. Um, he nailed it. 
uh, Lady Gaga. Yeah, her performance is her performance is good. It's you, you could say it's tailor made for her, but I think she really came. And this this is to this is credit to Bradley Cooper's direct direction, I think, because the chemistry between the two characters is just magnetic, and I love them so much on screen. It, it feels like a real relationship. Um, again, the songs are great. Sam Elliott is the best supporting actor. Uh, it's oh, maybe not the best. One, one of the best. That scene is really, really powerful, though. Um, there's a scene when he's in a car and he's re- he reverse- reversing. I think I talked about it in my other podcast. Um, when he's staring and just the just that look, that one look, just makes you just ball inside. It makes you just just explode, implode. Really, if you're talking about internal. Um. Oh, so fucking good. I can't talk about how much I love A Star Is Born more than this now. Um, it is my number one film of 2018, and it's there for a reason. Um, again, like any other number ones, it's the one I can watch over and over again. It's one I love the characters so much. It's one I just connect to in a very emotional way, very relatable way, even though I'm not a singer, but I connect to the themes that have kind of been addressed. And I just loved it. It'll probably sweep Oscar season, and, you know, which deservedly so. Uh, I think other films are as, just as good, but um, I loved it. I just loved it, and I saw it three times in cinemas, and I want to see it again. I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray day one. Um, cannot wait to see it again. Number one's A Star Is Born. That's it! That's it, everyone. That is my top ten of 2018. Um... Thank you so much for listening to the podcast in 2018. Um, really appreciated it, even though I went on these hiatuses and all that stuff because of film school and breaks and just being generally a lazy asshole. So I really appreciate you guys sticking sticking with me on this and supporting me. Um, this goes out to my friends as well who listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. To new listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, this is going to be... I'm going to stay consistent. I'm going to try and stay consistent this year. Because I'm gonna get, I'm getting more serious now. I just want to address a few things before I sign off here. Um, the reason I didn't do a podcast with someone this year, because I've done for the last two years, I believe, I've done this with two with other with guests. Um, I didn't do it with someone this year because I got a, I wanted to get a separate microphone. I wanted to get a second microphone so I can have a guest on. Now that did happen. I did get a second microphone at the end of the year. But I haven't gone around to configuring it yet, and I didn't have time to really work it all out. So um, that's the reason that um, I did it by myself, and I just felt like it would be easier. It was there was it, it was around New Year's time, Christmas time. I didn't have time to prepare and plan to get other people, uh, other people as well. My other my my best mate Jordan from last year's podcast list podcast wasn't available, and also he hasn't seen he didn't really see any movies this year except the ones that came out and the block, big blockbusters and everything. So we, we didn't really, I didn't really someone to really kind of bounce off and talk to. And um, I just think it was pretty much of a busy time and it was really hard to wrangle someone to get down for a, as a guest spot. So that's why I decided to do it solo this year um, for 2018's list. But I hope you enjoyed nonetheless. Now about the microphone, I guess I got a second microphone because I'm 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 getting a bit getting a bit more serious about this podcast now. Film school's over. I am I'm editing. I'm, I'm currently editing my short films. I'm going to put them out into festivals when I can. And um, 
I want to get more serious with this. I want, I promised you something back in October, which I haven't still delivered yet. And I'm very disappointed in myself with doing that. So that will come eventually. I'm going to be writing a series with my friend that will be, that I'll be releasing, um, in the coming months, but we're going to start writing, um, in the next couple of weeks. So if you want to, um, stay around that, that's some of my projects that are coming soon. And that, yeah, that thing I promised in October, that will be coming. It will be coming. So I'm very, very sorry for that. I know I've apologized probably profusely and as numerous times as I can for that. But again, busy time and I just, just general laziness. I just, it's, it's, it's just sucks when you lack the motivation. When the motivation just goes away and you're just sitting there just like, oh, do I nearly need to do this? It sucks to have those thoughts and emotions, but that's just what happened. And I just, uh, I don't know. Sometimes your brain, that's that side of your brain wins sometimes. And that's okay because then you can wake up the next day and... Um, do your best to bounce back from that and um, make some changes. So, um, and the same thing with my writing is I have really slept off the writing as well. So I get back into the writing again, writing that series with my friend, but I also get to get back into writing my feature. I was supposed to finish that by the end of the last year, but I didn't. And I'm very down on myself for that. Very disappointed. But, um, you know, that's just, that's what happened. And I'll, I'll just have to deal with that and I'll have to just work that out on my own. And it's up to me really to um, you know, better myself as a writer and as a, um, creative and, you know, be more reliable really with content. So, um, the podcast will be the thing I'll be focusing on mainly, um, in terms of, in terms of my content that I've delivered straight away. Um, obviously we're working on the films, um, prominently, and, and writing, but the podcast, I will try to stay consistent with that for each week or each by or bi-weekly depends on what's going to happen. I will announce on Facebook when the next podcast will be coming out. I'll try to do that from now on. Um, and, um, I'll be more on time really and stop being such a disorganized asshole. Um, so yeah, and I want to get more guests on the new year and, um, we want to chat about some more things and have some more really cool conversations and work through different topics. So, Guys, thanks for listening to 2018, um, and I hope to have you listen in next week. We talk about Bandersnatch. All right, guys. See you next week.